listening to a Sharesies podcast. It's Friday the 17th of December. This is Recap made for you by Sharesies. Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create financial empowerment for everyone. And here's the disclaimer. Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. G'day there, Alice. Hey, Jose. How you doing? Good, thanks. I'm oh, great. Oh, I've just got I've just got shivers because it's the last episode of the year. It sure is. And we've got a special guest with us today. We've got Gus. Kia ora. Thanks uh, for having me. No problem at all, Gus. Gus Watson is, of course... Head of investments here at Sharesies. What exactly do you do if you're a head of investments, Gus? Um, good question. We, um, my team, Alice, one of them, we, we we try and bring access to lots of investment opportunities for our investors, and also provide the education so people can make the uh, investors can make the investment decisions to grow their wealth. Is are you the guy in the in the in the outfit in the organisation who gets sent all like the branded um, desk calendars and branded pens at the end of the year from all the companies? I wish I did. I wish I did. You aren't? I need a calendar for next year. You, I don't <laughs> look, mate. I don't know who you need to talk to, but you need to talk to somebody. And when you get to renegotiate your contract, you should get that folded in because that's where the real peach is. That's where the real money is. That's just my tip for you. Thanks, Richard. Well, it's great to have you here, Gus. Um, this is the last episode of 2021, and what we thought we'd do this time around for this for this episode is actually um, just pick uh, each of us one story that we thought was really important for 2021, um, that we thought was a bit the most interesting and had the most impact for us personally um, this year. Let's start with you, Alice. Yeah, sure thing. Well, a story that I've found fascinating this year has been everything to do with the global supply chain challenges. Such a good choice. Uh, We have talked about that so much this year on Recap, which is probably just goes to show how widespread the disruptions have been, right? Yeah, and it's one of those things that's sort of come off the back of COVID-19, but it's been a really lagged effect of the pandemic. And I think that's why I find it really interesting. Like the pandemic has created almost a perfect storm for all of this disruption to take place. And Jose, Alice, you talked to a supply chain expert about what's causing disruptions to take place, didn't you? Yeah, Jose chatted to Professor Tava Olsen from the University of Auckland um, a while back and, and um, she specialises in supply chain management. Now she broke down what's causing the disruptions into sort of three key drivers. Well, a lot of it's COVID related. So we've seen changes in uh, increased demand because of people's buying habits changing. We've seen decreased supply because of, you know, shutdowns, people unable to work, social distancing, reducing capacity. Um, And we've also seen an increase in variability and variability is always really bad for supply chains. Uh, Basically, with economies around the world reopening, all of a sudden you had this pent up demand from consumers and during the pandemic, their their buying habits also changed. Um, At the same time, things weren't and still aren't completely back to normal. Uh, Factories were and are still dealing with COVID restrictions, same with port workers. And at the end of the day, we are still in a pandemic and that's been affecting different parts of the world at different times and by differing amounts. 
On top of that, uh, there's been shortages for workers like truck drivers, port workers, warehouse workers, and above all, uh, even a shortage of shipping containers. Now, these problems really piled up, uh, quite literally. At major ports, uh, there's been piles of containers just waiting to be docked and unloaded. Uh, As Professor Olsen explained when we spoke to her. We're definitely seeing things like, you know, the ship's all queuing at the port of Los Angeles, partly because the truckers are not there to remove the containers. And, you know, some of that's due to illness and some of it's due to uh, just sort of the schedules have all got a bit uneven. And those effects together have caused production and delivery delays and retailers have struggled to get stock on shelves. Yeah, and as well, uh, the supply and demand imbalances have caused shipping costs to to just absolutely skyrocket. Uh, To tackle all of these disruptions, though, we've seen some companies charter their own ships. We've uh, seen others adjust their production and take other measures to to, tackle all of these challenges. But there are some signs now that the problems are starting to ease. Uh, Esben Paulson, who is the chair of the International Chamber of Shipping, uh, said to CNBC recently that he thinks the worst of the, the disruptions is over. And so um, what, what have we learned from all this? Well, my first takeaway was that I needed to do my Christmas shopping really early this year, uh, particularly if I was buying things online. Uh, but, but second, one of the key lessons I think I've, I've taken away from this is that we live in a really interconnected world and our global uh, supply chains are actually reasonably fragile. The pandemic's really highlighted that one single event can have a ripple effect across the entire system. Thank you very much for that, Alice. Now, uh, for me, without a doubt, just as with 2020, 2021 has been all about COVID. Uh, There has been no aspect of life that the pandemic hasn't touched, but we are almost at the end of our second year of the pandemic, and that got me thinking, what can we learn from year two of COVID? Yeah, that's a good point. And we've now got another 12 months worth of data to compare to the first. So what can you tell us, Jose? Well, the first thing that's been interesting is to compare the way markets have reacted to each bout of uncertainty caused by the pandemic. And the main takeaway has been that, at least in America, the recovery period has been getting shorter and shorter. So, for example, I found a really striking graph on the New York Times where they'd mapped out movements on the S&P 500 after each milestone of upheaval, if you will, and overlaid them um, over each other. And it shows that beginning with the start of the pandemic in February 2020, the index loses roughly a third of its value in four weeks uh, or so. And then it takes 25 weeks for the index to restore itself to kind of get back up uh, that peak level. In September, during the election cycle in the US, when restrictions and deaths increased, it took 10 weeks to rebound. Then this year, as Delta begins to spread, the recovery is seven weeks. And although things still remain volatile after the emergence of Omicron, the rebound is now around two weeks. And in each case, the loss in value is progressively less. And this is more or less the same for the NASDAQ. So that was in the US. What about other exchanges like the ASX in Australia and the NZX here in New Zealand? Well, it's a bit of a different story here in the Southern Hemisphere. The ACX took roughly a month to return to its peak level when the pandemic got going in February 2020. And it's kind of taken the same time to come back in response to that Delta outbreak. And it's sort of still on the march back still from the news breaking about Omicron. And in New Zealand? Well, although it bounced back quickly, the NZX actually took from February to June to get back to its pre-COVID peak. Uh, from there until January, though, this year it grew by 48%. 
but since then has decreased until about now by about 20%. Okay, so what's been your takeaways from all of this? Yeah, well, uh, without trying to go into the weeds too much, the first of two things to note is that markets are still in a period of uncertainty over the Omicron variant. It's really important to to to, to recognise that. And that's going to last until we get more data around how vaccines affect it and its general characteristics. And obviously there's a whole bunch of other factors that affected markets over the last two years, not just COVID. Uh, but that having said, ultimately markets dislike uncertainty. I mean, I don't like it. Nobody likes it. So that's why you see markets react strongly in March 2020 with that loss of value. But then central banks intervened and that first bout back is, back is really, actually really quick compared to the, for example, the subprime mortgage crisis, which took years to really bounce back. And so after each COVID-related upheaval in general, the, the recovery's taken less time as investors and the market have gotten more and more used to the state of play. And that has been particularly true in the States where generally lockdowns haven't been as strict as they have uh, been in Australia and New Zealand. Sweet. Okay, how does your second takeaway, Jose? Well, this got me thinking about uh, the fact that markets have responded and recovered pretty well, but there's still 5 million deaths worldwide associated with COVID and still growing. There's been massive upheaval in industries like travel and tourism. We just heard Alice talk about the supply chain. It's been considered the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. Yet markets have rebounded and don't seem to reflect the economic disruption. So that all reminds me of a piece by Paul Krugman, the New York Times columnist, we wrote uh, uh, last year. Whenever you consider the economic implications of stock prices, you want to remember three rules. First, the stock market is not the economy. Second, the stock market is not the economy. Third, the stock market is not the economy. And what he's saying there is that the relationship between the performance of stocks and economic growth can be pretty loose. In general, markets rebounded even in the face of massive economic disruption. Stock markets didn't react more strongly in countries where they were worse off economically or if they were classed as an at-risk population. What seemed to make the difference was how central banks responded, how governments made policy decisions and how public health measures were implemented to break transmission of COVID-19. A year ago, I hadn't heard of a company called GameStop. Had you, Alice, Jose? Nah, I don't think so. Like I reckon that a year ago, I would have guessed that GameStop was a board game, I think. <laughs> I, I I would have thought like what I was picturing in my brain at the time was like oh there's like a bus stop but it's made out of Sonic the Hedgehog cartridges. I don't know why. Well, actually, Alice, you would have been um, pretty close. Jose, however, not so no, that's, much. That's totally so. Fair. So GameStop is an American video game consumer electronics and, and and gaming merchandise retailer. However, that particular detail was not what would spring to mind if. Have you mentioned GameStop now? GameStop was once extremely popular in the US. However, it had been on a long, slow decline over a, uh, over a period of time. It reached about $60 a share in 2008 before the bubble burst, and it trended down to less than $4 at one point in 2020. Um, that was that, At that point, it was a, about the same size of as Michael Hill Jewelry here in New Zealand, so about a $500 million company. Then it roared to international headlines. Um, so fast forward six months to earlier this year, and the share price had gone from $4 to almost $500 or 100 times. Well, so how did it get from that $4 to, like you said, almost $500 a share? That's that's pretty incredible. Well, first a group of internet traders decided that it actually wasn't worth the $4 a share that it was trading at on the market. They didn't think that it was the failing company that the market was pricing it as. Their belief and resultant purchasing meant that the price ticked up to about $20 a share. 
Okay, so the share price increasing from like $4 to around 20 that's like five time gains uh, for those that believed uh, the, the company was worth more. Uh, that's not bad for them though, right? Yeah, well, maybe. Um, however, some, some head funds decided that those gains weren't deserved and that the company was now overvalued at the $20 a share. So they began started betting that the price was too high, so they started taking short positions. It turned into this David versus Goliath scene. Right, yeah, totally. I can imagine what that, that looks like. But first, take me back because I need to know what a uh, short position is first. Sure thing. Um, short position is basically take, just taking a bet that the share price will go down. Basically, an investor borrows some shares, it sells them, that they sell them at a price that they think is high, with the intention of them buying them back when the, the, the share price has gone down. So you sell high, buy low. They then deliver them back to the person that they borrowed them off. Right, well, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. So what happened here is the predominantly retail traders saw these hedge funds shorting the positions, and in turn, they weren't keen to play ball and let the hedge funds profit on their bets. At this point, the term short squeeze was another term that became commonplace. Short squeeze. Okay, let's hear it, Gus. Well, all of a sudden, lots of hedge funds had borrowed shares from brokers, sold them, and were waiting to buy them back. They'd taken short positions. And the retail, retail traders banded together to keep buying and buying and buying. And the share price of GameStop actually went up as uh, rather than the intended downwards trajectory, which the hedge funds were, in, uh, were betting on. Hence... The hedge funds were reluctant to buy their shares back at the large losses to repay the people they'd borrowed the shares from. And the le- and in turn, the lenders began to get worried that they weren't going to get the shares back that had been lended to the hedge funds. There was this tipping point where those that had to give back the shares had to buy the shares, and this drove the price up even further. This was called a short squeeze. Um, and this kind of volatility was new to the market. Um, and so terms like diamond hands, those who didn't sell, paper hands, the sellers, Tendies, the tenders, the chicken tenders you could buy from the profits um, to the moon where the share price was kept going up. Um, apes, members of the meme stock community, BTFD, buying the dip, all became commonplace. Wait, didn't you miss the F there? We, we don't need to go into that any further, but let's get back to it. How the, How's the markets um, handling this movement? Well, at the time, um, we saw share prices moving really quickly. So some of the um, in, uh, some of the, uh, the the share price movement stops came in the exchanges, so you couldn't buy or sell shares shares a period of times. There was buying restrictions as depositories on the back end made brokers forced covers brokers to cover their positions. So in some cases, you couldn't buy more shares. There was a risk risk premium added to the market, so we saw share share prices around the world go down slightly. There's been a lot of other meme stocks since then besides um, besides game stocks. We saw what happened to Nokia, AMC Entertainment, BlackBerry, um, and there's also been other um, kind of meme stock periods or game stock periods since then. Yeah, I mean, that's what GameStop means to me now. Like, definitely not a board game, as I've learnt, but m- maybe perhaps a saga. <laughs> yeah, totally. A multi-generational saga that goes over three seasons. But interestingly, the GameStop share price is currently still at about $150. So for anyone that managed to hodl, which means hold on for dear life, through all that volatility, uh, they still get a very tidy return. And so, Gus, what's your takeaway from all of this? Well, two things. Briefly, um, firstly, there's this, there's this all of a sudden there's this power that's been recognised in the coordination coordination of retail traders. Um, so, have there been calls? There have been calls from market manipulation investigations. However, nothing's really landed yet. Um, the second thing, um, the easier the easier access that um, 
everyone has to the markets now is starting has well in this case put pressure on the piping in the back ends and so this is um, again led by the SEC the um, regulator in the states um, to investigate um, if this is anyone's fault. Thank you very much for that Gus appreciate the breakdown mate but you know what that brings us to the end of the show that was recap for 2021 thank you all so much for listening thank you in particular to Alice Roundby my co-host no, thank it's been a real pleasure <laughs> thank you Jose it's been it's been a real pleasure and thanks also Gus for joining us today for our Absolutely. final episode uh, so for, for those of you out there you can give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts uh, if you'd like to get in touch our email is recap at sharesies.co.nz and you can also leave a voice message uh, there's a link to that in the episode description we will 100% see you next year see you then guys bye have a great holiday bye bye say bye Gus bye bye <laughs>